Uh, we have partnered with Togo Christmas, uh, Christian Ministries from the very beginning, and uh, Heidi has been the point person for this. Her goal was $3,000 for this year. Well, you've blown that away too. As of last Sunday, we learned that we had raised over $4,000 for Togo Christian Ministries. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't say that so that you don't go do something after service. I, look, let's, let's blow it even more out of the water. What a wonderful blessing that is. And then we've also helped five or six families within our own church body that needed just a little help for Christmas. I know the staff and the elders could not be more proud of you and how you have responded. You have shown the real Christmas spirit of giving, and we know God is going to bless you for it, and He probably already has, but He will continue to do that. In fact, I, I would go even beyond just this Christmas season. I would say throughout the season of COVID, and you know what I'm saying, you have been faithful. Uh, yes, our attendance is not what it was before COVID. We, we get that. But I count all of those who are still here as the committed ones, those who are still tuning in to Facebook Live. You are still with us. We are still together in this. And we hope that one day everyone will feel comfortable and safe to return to worship on campus because as, as much of a blessing as having Facebook Live is, I think we would all say, it's not as good as being here in person. You know, to be able to speak to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to see them and to be with them. But through it all, you have still given. And I know a lot of churches have not been in that situation, but you've given to the point where, as of this past week, we were over $30,000 ahead of our budgeted income. Praise God for that. That's you. That's you just responding to God in your life. So while there have been hard times, I am so grateful to you for being faithful to the Lord and faithful to the church. And I want to encourage you to continue to look for ways to honor Him in your life, and in your giving, in your service, in every way that you can. Now, there's one more thing I want to say before I get to the sermon. Don't worry, the sermon's not as long as you might think. But <laughs> we, we are so happy today for the Waters family. Are they here? Are they here? The Waters here? They might not be here. They had a big day yesterday because Staten was baptized into Christ yesterday by his dad, Matt. And so, yes, praise God. Oh, what a wonderful, godly family they are. And I know that that was the best Christmas gift that those parents could have had. Now, back to our message. Jesus is searching for you. I read a story about a young lady who had been in the foster care system since she was very young, and after she became an adult, she wanted to find her biological mother. So when she turned 21, Tammy Harris from Roanoke, Virginia, began searching for her 
biological mother. After a year, she had not succeeded. What she didn't know was that her mother, Joyce Schultz, had also been looking for her. In fact, for 20 years, she had been trying to locate her daughter. According to a recent, and this was back in 2017, so uh, Associated Press story, there was one more thing Tammy didn't know. Her mother was actually one of her co-workers at the convenience store where she worked. Think about that. One day, Joyce overheard Tammy talking with another co-worker about trying to find her mother. And soon they began talking about each of their searches, and they began comparing birth certificates, and they came to realize, yes, she in fact is my mother, and they fell into each other's arms. Tammy said, we held on for the longest time. It was the best day of my life. Isn't that amazing? What she was searching for was right under her nose. You you could say she was so close and didn't even know it. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's an even more important search going on in each of our lives. And that search involves us and God. The problem is that we're often ambivalent to what is happening spiritually around us. We don't recognize or see the efforts that God is making to draw us to Himself. Often we may think God doesn't want a relationship with us. Or we're so caught up in the world that we don't see the value of a relationship with God. But friends, the Bible is very clear that God does indeed want a relationship with us. In fact, God is searching for us even before we knew it. He is calling out to us like a shepherd is calling out to his lost sheep. And this fact reminds us of an important truth. And I hope you will take this with you wherever you go and tell everybody you know that no matter where you go or how much you have failed or how far away you may be, Jesus wants you home with Him. He loves you that much and He's searching, searching, trying to bring you home. Now, in our text today, we're going to read about some stories Jesus told They were called parables. And Jesus was responding to the criticism of the Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders of his day, because he was hanging around tax collectors and sinners. Oh, you know, as a religious person, you shouldn't be hanging around sinful people, as if the Pharisees weren't sinful people. But that's the hypocrisy that they had. But here in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, he's so bad. Well, listen, isn't that the thing? Uh, Jesus is a good shepherd, and a good shepherd cares about his sheep. Wherever you may go, however far away you may be, Jesus is seeking you. So just a few things I want to mention to you today as we dig into this text in Luke chapter 15. 
The first thing is that Jesus knows his sheep. In Luke 15, one, uh, uh, beginning in verse 3, we read, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, now think about that. They have a hundred sheep, they lose one, so they still got 99. Now, you know, he has counted them out. He knows exactly how many he has. And from what we understand, he probably also knows each of them by name. And he knows which one is missing. And friends, I think we need to understand Jesus knows you. He knows all about you. He knows when you're lost. He knows when you're safe. You can't hide from him and you can't lie to him. Whatever you're dealing with in life, whatever you're going through, you should know that he knows. And I believe that for those that are happy that Jesus is searching for them and happy to be in relationship, that that would be of no small comfort. He knows if you have wandered away and why you have wandered away from him. He knows this. Now in John chapter 10, we read this as Jesus spoke. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger in fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then in verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, there is so much truth about shepherd. Now, I'm not a shepherd. I've never been around sheep a lot. So I have to read and understand what's going on. Uh, but in all I know is that sheep are not real smart animals, okay? But they're smart enough to know the voice of the shepherd and to follow him rather than a stranger's voice. In Palestine today, it is still possible to witness a scene that Jesus certainly would have seen 2,000 years ago, and that is of Bedouin shepherds bringing their flocks home from the various pastures where they have grazed during the day. And often these flocks will end up at the same watering hole around dusk so that they get all mixed up together, all these different flocks from different shepherds. Eight or nine small flocks turning into a convention of thirsty sheep. Now, their shepherds don't worry about the mixing of these sheep. When it is time to go home, each shepherd issues his or her own distinctive call. It might be a special trill or a whistle or a particular tune on a particular reed pipe. And that shepherd's sheep will leave the crowd and they will go to the sound of their shepherd. They know whom they belong to. They know their shepherd's voice, and it is the only one they will follow. 
Now many shepherds also give their sheep names, and they will call them out by name. And the sheep know when the shepherd calls their name. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Now I know my dogs, they know if I'm calling lunatic, uh, she knows who I'm calling. And it's usually like, Luna! (laughs) And then there's Rose. Rosie, my dear. And they know who, 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 who they are. So according to Scripture, Jesus knows you by name. And when you have wandered away and you're struggling or you're hurting, He sees it. He knows it. He calls out to you. He ministers to you. Now there are three responses to this truth as, as far as I can see it. Some of you may think about this and feel like since Jesus knows everything there is to know about you, that He would want nothing to do with you. Your guilt is keeping you away from Him. Others may just dismiss the idea altogether. You may think, well, you fooled everyone, even God. Your arrogance is keeping you away. Or you may accept the fact That Jesus does indeed know you by name. And the question is, are you listening to Him? Because if you are listening, you will know that the shepherd is searching for his lost sheep. You will know this. You'll know the shepherd isn't going to abandon you. If you wander away, he's not giving up on you. Now, as we look back in our text in Luke 15, 4b, We read, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I mean, hear what he's saying. He's leaving the rest of the herd, the flock, and he's searching for the one lost sheep. Now, some would say that's crazy. Why would he risk the 99 to search for the one? Well, this just shows that he cares about even the one. He's not willing to give up on that sheep. His goal is to bring that sheep home. He doesn't quit searching until he finds it. And friends, this is Jesus' goal too. Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. Now everybody knows John 3.16, but a lot of people don't think about John 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. It's never been God's desire to condemn people. He doesn't want to crush you, but He wants to give you life. Yes, He may discipline you like a good father will discipline their child that they love, but His desire, again, is not to crush us. Jesus cares about you. Even if you have not cared about Him, He cares about you. Remember Romans 5, 6 through 8? You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Now that's people that don't care. He cares about them before they cared about Him. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. 
He didn't die for you when you were perfect. He didn't die for you when you were doing all the right things. He died for you because you make bad decisions. Because I sin. That's why He died for us. And if that doesn't show you that Jesus cares, even if you have failed, I don't know what will. He died knowing that we're all sinners. So don't assume that Jesus doesn't care because you have failed or because you've messed up. His actions reveal that He certainly does care, even though you have not cared for Him. I don't know what that does to you, but it moves my soul to know that Jesus has loved me that much. As imperfect as I am, and yet He still loves me. As many times as I have failed, and yet He still came looking for me. As many times as I have wandered off, and yet... He has still searched for me. That's the gospel message, isn't it? Jesus, the good shepherd, searches for his lost sheep. There was a Time magazine article in 2011 that reported about uh, our emergency response system at that time. You know, the 911 system. Uh, we, we all know that at that time it was being becoming outdated pretty much because of the use of cell phones. Um, you know, the 911 system was created back in 1968 to find people and rescue people who were injured or dying or in, in uh, dire need, and it was based upon the landline telephone network, which immediately gave operators the location of the person who was calling. Now, with the advent of cell phones and other phone services, landline phones have become obsolete and may even someday disappear altogether. How many of you still have a landline? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of them. How many of you don't have a landline? Wow, even more. Okay, so while the name of the primary cell phone customer will appear when they call the 911 service, their location could be anywhere. Panicked or, invite, or injured callers sometimes don't know where they are. You know, if you're in a place where you're not familiar with, or maybe you're in a wreck, you don't know where you are. So on top of being hurt or injured, they're also lost and disoriented. So if the emergency is in a multi-story building, for instance, the response crew must determine how to pick the right floor. Tom warned such gaps leave us with a patchy emergency infrastructure that has become progressively less about uh, able to find people in need. Call centers are upgrading and diversifying their technology, and I'm sure it's better today than it was then. But in the end, they adva the advanced technology can't always search people or reach people in crisis. The article pointed to our best resource. Emergencies are best served by smart people. Think about that. <laughs> In other words, the 9-11 operators must think creatively and quickly to find lost callers and then send the help that the caller needs. The purpose of 9-11 uh, or 9-11 has not changed. People still find themselves injured, lost, or in danger and in need of rescue, 
But now more than ever, the rescue operation depends not just on programs or technologies, but on committed, compassionate people. Now imagine that you are in a desperate situation and in need of immediate help. You call 911, but you don't know where you are. The operator may ask you for landmarks. New and improved systems are being created, but you always need that operator who is listening and attempting to find you. You want someone who is determined and won't quit when you are in such a terrible situation. Now listen, Jesus won't quit searching. He is determined. He proved how determined He is when He went to the cross and died for us. So if you have wandered away in your heart or in your actions, understand that Jesus is calling out to you. He is searching for you. He is determined to bring you home. And this brings us to this last thought, that the shepherd rejoices when the sheep is safe. You know, in the last part of that parable that Jesus told, Luke 15, beginning in verse 5, we read, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus finishes by saying this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, the shepherd in the parable found the lost sheep. And he is happier about that than all of the safe sheep that he left behind because it was lost. It could have been lost to him forever, but he found it. And then what does he do? He invites his friends to come rejoice with him. And I believe that Jesus rejoices when a lost person comes into relationship with him. He rejoices over a lost sinner. In fact, the text tells us that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person being found than over all, all of those who are already saved. Now, why would that be? Now, that doesn't mean that he's not happy that the 99 are saved. That's not what it's saying. But I want you to think about the psychology of this. When you lose something of value, aren't you more focused on that one thing and finding it than you are focused on all of the other valuable things that you have? Aren't you? I mean, this is human nature. At that moment... All you can focus on is that lost item. Now think of the joy that God feels when those who are lost are found. In fact, in Luke 15, Jesus expresses that idea in three parables. The lost sheep parable that we've just read. But immediately after telling this story, Jesus told the story of a lost coin. And in that parable, he speaks of a woman who had ten silver coins and lost one. She worked hard to find that one, and when she had found it, she asked her friends and neighbors to come over and celebrate with her. In Luke 15, 9-10, we read, she says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. 
And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus told the parable of the lost coin or the lost son. When the older son was jealous of his father's love for this younger, irresponsible son who had finally come home, the father explained in verses 31 and 32, My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know what I love is that each one of those parables ends with rejoicing. This is the heart of God. I read a story about a lady named Mary Grahams of Alberta, Canada. And uh, Michael Pittman, if you're watching today, I think Michael's still in Canada with his parents. Hadn't seen him in like two or three years because of COVID, but he's over there. Hey, brother, we love you if you're watching on Facebook. Um, But this lady in Alberta, Canada lost her engagement ring while she was working in the garden back in 2004. She said, we looked high and low on our hands and knees. We couldn't find it. I thought for sure either they uh, roto-tilled it or something happened to it. And after she speedily bought a replacement, she never told her husband. (laughs) She she said, I thought for sure he'd give me heck or something. (laughs) But recently, the ring turned up. Now, recently, uh, it was 13 years later. It turned up on a carrot. Look at this, I think. Look at that. (laughs) She did lose it in the garden. For those gardeners, Dean dies on, for those gardeners, if you lose something in the garden, maybe it'll come back to you. But it came back on a carrot, and her daughter-in-law pulled it out of the ground. And her daughter-in-law asked, uh, spoke to her husband. She said, Uh, I asked my husband if he recognized the ring. And he said, yeah. His mother had lost her engagement ring years ago in the garden. Never found it again. And it turned up on a carrot. It's a very odd looking carrot. If you look at it, it grew perfectly around the ring. It was pretty weird looking, right? But though Graham's husband died five years before they found that ring, she said, I'm going to wear it. It still fits. (laughs) Now, can you imagine how overjoyed she was to have that ring back? What a crazy story. Thirteen years before, lost, thinking it'll never be found again. Now, the point is that Jesus is searching for the lost. And that search will bring him joy when the lost are found and come to him. So friend, if you've wandered off in the dark, struggling to find your way home, be assured that Jesus is calling out for you. The question is, will you answer him? Will you come home? He is searching for you because he loves you. And He cares for you. No matter where you go, 
or how much you have failed or how far away you've been, Jesus still wants you to come home. Father, we thank you for searching for us and not giving up on us, even sometimes when we've given up on ourselves. Thank you for all the people that you put into my life to draw me to Jesus. Thank you for loving me even when I have not been so lovable. Your grace and mercy are beyond our true comprehension, Father. And so we thank you for not giving up, not only on us, but on our loved ones who are lost. And I'm sure everybody here can think of someone that they love who doesn't have a relationship with you. And so we know Jesus came to save and not to condemn. And so, Father, we pray for those that we love, that we know, who have rejected you or are living far away from you. I pray that somehow by the power of your Holy Spirit, something would break through to their hearts. Maybe it's a someone will break through. I pray that you would open their eyes and help them see. Father, use us, if you will, to reach those who don't know you. Use our testimony or use our sacrifice or use our connections. Father, I also pray for those who are struggling today. I know Christmas is not always a joyous season for every person. There are those who have lost loved ones. And we're thankful for the hope and the promise we have in Christ. But Father, I just want to lift up in this last worship service of this year, Mike Dawson, whose mom just passed away, and his family, Linda Furlow and Jackie Brown and Glenda Barnes. We pray for those who are struggling with illness, Father, like Ray and Russell and Briley and Wanda Thompson and Amy Taylor and Lee Blankenship and, and others that might not come to my mind, but I know you know them. You know them. You know what they're going through. And I pray that each one will experience your love even today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.